Hey yo, welcome to Build to Be You. My name is Michaela and I am so pumped that you're here. I made this podcast so you can uncover what it means to be you and learn how you can fully step into your potential while trying to navigate your 20s, overcoming previous failures, learning to face your fears, dance with your emotions, and take messy action in order to build and become the best you. You can expect a little bit of mixed stuff love and a whole lot of real talk, but let me just say this journey is so much more fun with a bestie, so buckle up and let's do it together. All right, this week's podcast is going to be geared just a little bit differently, and it's not something that I talk about a lot on the podcast, but it is something that I am very, very passionate about, and something that I'm realizing that we need to nurture, that I need to use my light and my platform to really just pour into my nursing community. So this one is for you, my nurse fam, the new grad, and even if you're not a nurse, I promise that if you keep listening, you're going to take away from this episode some really powerful tools to help you be be a more powerful, empathetic person, respecting your own boundaries, listening to your own values while simultaneously being able to be the helping hand for others that you wish to be. For the nurse fam, the new grad who is trying to figure out work-life balance, the mama who gives and gives to her patients and then come home just to do the same thing for her family, the coworker who feels like the superhero to the unit, and to the nurse who enters each patient room ready to take on every need they have. And we, by we, I mean you and I, we love to help others. And I think of myself as a giver by nature, somebody who would literally do anything for anyone. And maybe you can relate because when I think about the nursing community, and I think about the nursing profession, we got into it for a reason. We care about caring. We care about the well-being of others. And maybe you're the first person to step in when a coworker needs help. You find yourself always being the friend on call, meaning you're there to help problem solve whenever somebody needs you. You find yourself picking up overtime week after week to meet the needs of your unit when the needs are not met. You feel a duty and obligation to step in when somebody calls on you. You take the extra time in each patient's room to really slow down and listen. Even when you know you have three or four other rooms, maybe five or six other rooms that you need to be in doing the exact same thing. You're the the nurse, the friend who takes the endless family member phone calls, just the endless friendship phone calls, whatever it is, you always feel that need to take on more, to be more, to always be on and available. And at this point in my nursing career, I'm about a year and a half into the job. And new grad life in the middle of a pandemic was a lot. And about six months ago, I found myself dreading going to work. Every day I would be walking across the bridge to go to the parking deck and I would just close my eyes and I would find myself making every excuse for why the shift was hard, every excuse for why it was okay for me to feel the dread around every single day. And I was searching for high and low ways to get away from bedside nursing. Every single day I felt like when I left a shift, I was just exhausting every last resource that I had. I was Googling how to be a nurse without being a bedside nurse, you know, non-traditional nursing jobs. I started following all of these Instagram accounts and it really opened up a lot of perspective, not only for non-traditional nursing jobs, but also the reality that I was living in. I was discouraged. I was frustrated and almost hopeless. And 
to be brutally honest, being a nurse was not at all what I expected it to be. Pandemic aside, I saw firsthand nurse burnout, nurse eating their young, you know, just compassion fatigue, just in general, unit you know, unit politics, all of the things. And here's the thing is that I built a really solid habit foundation when I was in nursing school, as far as positive self-care, as far as mindset work. And I was getting up before shifts to work out. I was reading my personal development. I was taking my lunch breaks, but I was still feeling the heaviness of caring for others. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, Mick, it's me. Right now, I'm struggling, I dread work, I don't find joy in what I do. And I want you to take a step back and I want you to ask yourself and take some time to really think about it and really reflect and think about what do you think about or what comes to mind when you think about the healthiest version of you. And I promise that we're going to circle back to why this matters and asking yourself, how can you make the choice to be proactive instead of reactive to your overarching health. And I want you to think about your general well-being as an overarching term encompassing everything from energy to physical activity to sleep to thought patterns to behaviors to relationships to communication and everything in between. Because how we show up outside of work, how you show up outside of work translates over to how you show up at work. And I want to help you figure out how to get to that highest, most energetic version of you, whatever that looks like and feels like. And I really want to talk and spend some time diving into compassion fatigue, not just because of the current state of the nursing community and everything that we are putting on our shoulders and on our backs and just filling our plates so incredibly full with as far as, you know, pandemic nursing and nursing shortages, nursing burnout, call it what you will, but all things aside, compassion fatigue is a really real honest problem and it's something that nurses in particular really any specialty when you're in the process of providing empathetic support that you personally experience the pain of your patients and your families and your co-workers and it's when you put more on your plate than you can handle You spend that extra time in your patient's room to make that personal bond, to make that connection. You take that time after work to talk with your coworker, to, you know, just decompress and de-stress about, you know, your work life and your personal life. You spend that time talking to your friends about everything that they have going on in their life. And then you don't leave any space for yourself to process your own emotions, to support yourself, to really channel your best energy. And compassion fatigue can look and feel like a lot of different things, a lot of different ways. So I just want to share with you through some research that I did on the good old Google University, how compassion fatigue might show up in your life. And this could present as physical symptoms like headaches, poor sleep patterns or poor sleep habits, digestive problems, fatigue, muscle tension, some emotional symptoms, being restless, irritable, always on edge, filled with anxiety or signs of depression, anger and resentment towards yourself, towards others, towards patients, poor concentration and judgment, you know, really just not being able to be objective about anything and being work-related, work-related symptoms like 
a dread of working with certain patients, you know, not feeling yourself being able to be empathetic anymore. You're kind of just like, oh, well, get over it, Sally. Like, sorry about your luck. You put yourself here, you know? And I know that we all have those thoughts. Sometimes we're humans being humans. We're doing the best that we can. Maybe you use, you frequently use either PTO or sick days or the thought crosses your mind every single morning when your alarm goes off or every single night before your night shift when your alarm goes off you're like man I really wish that I could just call out today and really at the end of the day just lack of joy lack of purpose lack of fulfillment at what it is that you are doing as for a career and compassion and fatigue versus burnout are two different things and I'm actually interviewing a really epic um, podcast guests here in just a few weeks who specialize in burnout. So you'll have to come back and check her out. But an article that I found explained that compassion fatigue is experienced by those individuals who help others in distress. These helpers may be subsequently traumatized through their efforts to empathize and show compassion. And this often leads to inadequate self-care behaviors and increased self-sacrifice in the helper role. Compassion fatigue has also been described as secondary traumatic stress. And this was an article that I found written by an author with the last name Figley. And I really want to dissect this really quick because I think it's, there's a couple of key points here and one of them being inadequate self-care behaviors. Because when we feel the need to be givers by nature, or when we live in the role as a giver by nature, we seek out self-worth in how we help others. And that then leads to not having the time or the energy or the mental capacity to deal with what it is that you need to deal with in your own life, to do the things that you need to do in your own life to show up as a better version for you. And I love the word self-sacrifice because I think of self-sacrifice and self-sabotage kind of simultaneously, almost in the sense of being one and the same, because you put somebody else before you time and time and time and time again. And I really want you to think about that. I really want to think you like kind of visualize in your head with me, you have a stack of pennies and you put one penny on top of the other and one penny on top of the other and eventually you're going to have a really high stack of pennies so every time that you self-sacrifice every time that you do something for somebody else it's another penny added to the penny stack and eventually that penny stack is going to get to a certain point where it can't withstand where it can't stand on its own anymore And it's going to fall over. And when it falls over, it falls into pieces. And with compassion fatigue, when you self-sacrifice, when you are constantly putting others' needs, you're constantly tending to others' problems, others' emotions, and you're not tending to your own, you're building your penny stack so high that eventually, I can promise you, I can assure you that the penny stack will crumble you will crumble. You cannot give and give and give and give without any take in a sustainable way. And I really want you to think about it. Think about the shift when you took care of an emotionally draining patient. A shift when you got to be there for somebody's final moments. When you supported a patient or a family member in making a tough medical decision. 
or a parent, family member, patient who just kept pushing your buttons. They tested you every single last limit that you had. And the shifts where you questioned your ability to be a nurse, you had new skills to practice, new medications to give, new drips to titrate, whatever it is, you really had to push yourself outside of a comfort zone that you entered your shift living in. And burnout and compassion fatigue look similar, but compassion fatigue tends to be more acute in the onset, and burnout is something we see over time. And once I bring Ellen on the, like the podcast, she's really going to talk about burnout like I was saying, but compassion fatigue comes from those things that we do on a day-to-day basis, those empathetic moments that we have where we really slow down and we listen and we care for the well-being of others, but then we don't self-recharge. We don't self-assess. We don't take, you know, just self-inventory of what it is that we're doing in addition to that on our own for ourselves, because you have those shifts that leave you feeling so drained. And then you go home to your own life, to deal with your own problems, to deal with your own emotions, to deal with your own relationships. And it's a lot. So let's figure out a few small but tangible shifts that you can make. So that way, that compassion fatigue doesn't lead to burnout. So that compassion fatigue doesn't rob you of why you got into the profession in the first place. And before we dive into a few tangibles, I want you to think about it. When you sent in that nursing school application and they said, why do you want to be a nurse? What makes you want to be a nurse? Why do you want to be in this, like a part of this program? I want you to really think about what, what did you answer there? Was it because of a personal connection? or a family story that you had, or a personal experience, and your why is going to change and evolve with time, I know that why I started, or why I chose to apply to nursing school, because my mom had breast cancer when I was in high school, and I'm a daughter of divorced parents, and so my mom didn't have a right-hand man. She didn't have somebody to lean on. I was her right-hand man, but then I needed a right-hand man, and the nurses were there every step of the way, always checking in on me, always seeing how I was doing, and I knew that when I was away at class, the nurses were there to support her, the nurses were there to care for her, and I knew that I wanted to pay that forward. And now as a new grad nurse and just growing and evolving through different parts of my nursing career, even in this first year and a half, I see and experience firsthand my why power every single day, right? To nurture and to just change the patient experience and the way a patient feels when they leave and when they enter the hospital and truly like being treated like a human at a personal level, not just an objective patient who somebody sees and goes away, right? You know, like, and that's the thing is that compassion fatigue comes when you have that sense of empathy, when you're able to go deep with your patients, when you're able to go deep with the work that you do, and it's kind of a double-edged sword because we love what we do, but it weighs heavy. So you have to make the small tangible shifts that you can to stay ahead of the game, to stay ahead of your energy, to stay ahead of what it means to be you. 
And one of the one things I love to mentor and I love to teach about is finding micro passions outside of work, meaning on your days off, something that lights you up, something that makes you just feel so much like you, something that brings you so much joy and giddiness and happiness and just really creates that creativity or that curiosity lens or whatever it is that feels good for you. And think back to the things that you like to do when you were a kid. What kinds of things have you always wanted to try? Is there any new hobbies that you've wanted to take up? A new language that you wanted to learn? A cooking class that you wanted to take? You know, go out and paddleboard, whatever it is. And ask yourself, how can you add this in to your everyday? Just small 5-10 minutes, even after a shift, and especially on your days off. The other thing is a sleep schedule. Because just like you set an alarm for when you wake up, you need to set an alarm to remind yourself to go to bed. So that way you can regenerate that energy, you can get the good sleep that you need to be recharged to take on the next patient load, you know, for your next shift. And what do you want to do before you go to bed? And I like to always think about when I'm trying to create new routines is how do I want this routine to make me feel? So before you go to bed, how do you want to feel not when not only when you go to sleep, but how do you want to feel when you wake up before your shift or before your day off? And think about the things that you can do that are going to help you achieve said feeling. For example, I know that when I go to bed, I want to feel not empty, but I want to feel like I was able to expel anything heavy that I was holding onto. So that way when I wake up in the morning, I feel refreshed and I feel ready to tackle the day. And so when I think about the habits that I can do to help me get there, one of them is my bedtime reading. I love my bedtime reading because it really helps me transition my brain from like, you know, being on this like to-do list, goal-oriented, like I need to get this done, this done, this done, to just like being. And then after that, I have have a joy journal and I write down one thing that brought me joy that day. It can be something as little as a patient interaction. It can be something in my personal life. It doesn't have to be from work. And I write it down and I just really reflect on how that joy moment made me feel. And then I go to bed. And the next morning when I wake up, I'm centered and I'm grounded and I'm refreshed and I'm ready to tackle a new day with joy as my foot forward, right? So really think about what is it that you want to feel when you go to bed, but also when you wake up and think about the activities that you can do before bed. Maybe it's a brain dump of your to-do list to really just like decrease, like I think I want to say like garbage out. (laughs) That doesn't make sense to just like rinse out all the thoughts that you're holding on to. Maybe it's that you want to feel some joy or some gratitude. So you practice, you have a gratitude practice or a gratitude journal. Maybe you just want to journal and free write and, you know, really get your thoughts on paper to reflect on the day or whatever it is that's going on in your life and start to implement that and set that alarm on your phone. And then you can name the alarms on your phone. So for example, you could name your alarm gratitude, or you could name your alarm joy, or you could name your alarm refreshed or unwind or whatever it is to just serve as a simple reminder that, hey, it's time for me to start my bedtime routine to get the good sleep that I need, but also this is the feeling that I want to hold after this routine is over. And with that, physical activity. Movement is medicine and I will preach it till my final day here. It is truly my happy place of every day. It's a place where I can go with my phone on do not disturb, where the rest of the world doesn't matter, and I can just focus on me. I spend so many hours awake out of every single day 
tending to other people's needs and you do the same. I guarantee it, whether you're a nurse or not, whether you're a healthcare professional or not, you tend to other people's needs more than you tend to your own. I guarantee it until you bring the self-awareness that you need to say, hey, I'm gonna take this 30 minutes to do something for me. My phone's on, do not disturb, do not call me, do not beat me, do not try to reach me because I am not available because I'm regenerating my own energy. Physical activity does not have to look like hitting an intense AF workout class or throwing around some weights or hitting a hard run. It can be anything to get that positive pump of endorphins that movement provides. It literally releases neurochemicals in your brain that have a positive association with good mood, good energy, good vibrations. It can be something as simple as a walk with your dog, with a friend. I highly encourage you that if you can, at least at first, if you're like brand new to the movement thing, use it as just you time. Don't don't incorporate anybody else unless you need the accountability. Like just use it as a place for you to be one with yourself, with your own emotions, with your own thoughts, with your own problems. It could be yoga, it could be a paddleboard, go for a run, you know, go kayaking, go hiking, whatever it is that's going to help you make you feel centered and grounded in what it means to be you. And physical activity is my absolute favorite way to do that. So we've talked about three tangible things, finding micro passions, the small little things that can light you up outside of work, a solid sleep schedule, a nighttime routine, asking yourself, how do I want to feel before I go to bed? And how do I want to feel when I first wake up in the morning? And what is one habit that I can associate that can tie the two of those together and physical, physical activity because movement is medicine. Compassion fatigue is so, so real. And if you are listening to this and you are in a place where you just feel like you have nothing left to give, I encourage you. In fact, I beg you to slow down. What is it that you are constantly giving, but not taking the time to recreate? How high are you stacking that penny stack at work with your patients, with your coworkers, with your family members, and not doing anything to form your own penny stack? Because eventually you're going to break, you're going to crumble, you're going to feel like you have nothing left to give. And I know the profession is tough, but before you get so quick to point in frustration of it's my job, it's my coworkers, it's my leadership team, ask yourself, what can I do to take ownership and redefine what my overarching health needs to look and feel like for me to show up with my best energy, both at work and outside of work. And if you take away anything from this episode, I want you to remind yourself, you are a human first and a nurse second. Take care of what it means to be you and let that translate over to your career. And if you love this podcast episode, please tag your girl in your takeaways at Michaela underscore Robertson underscore, because I have been feeling this overarching pull to serve my nursing community on a deeper level because I am you and I am with you. So if you love this, please, like I said, let me know, share, tag me, send me a DM, slide all up in there and I will give you the pep talk that you need, but also just to chat about what it means to be a nurse and really how you're feeling and helping you validate those feelings, but also helping you realize that you don't have to be superwoman. You don't have to wear a cape. You don't have to take it all on. You have to learn to protect your energy. You have to learn that compassion and fatigue and burnout are going to creep into your nursing career. No doubt about it because we are givers by nature. We are in a constant state of empathy. We have to. We have to realize we spend all of this time, you know, hearing and listening to our patients and their feelings and their thoughts. And you have to learn to do the same with your own. 
And I can promise you that you're going to show up as a better nurse because of it. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that I am so dang grateful that we are now on this journey through uncovering what it means to be you together. If you love this episode, make sure you share it with your friend or better yet, share it on social media and tag me so that way I know. Until next time, chat soon. Chat soon.